What's kicking chickens? Welcome back to Can We Fix It? I'm your host, Maura Walsh, joined as always by my lovely and talented co-host, Jennifer the Vulpinator Douglas. How are you doing, my love? I'm so excited. I know. This is going to be such a good episode. We've been meaning to have our guest, Lisa Peterson, on for many, many moons, but we... uh fucking suck and we procrastinate and we're like oh uh-huh. my god i'm gonna get to that oh my god that thing i was supposed to do three weeks ago i totally definitely already did that what do you mean did i do that i did that did did you do that so uh anyway here's lisa very nice of you to join us at this shit show of a podcast finally thank you so much for taking us seriously when nobody should um <laughs> You are the COO of Victa, which is an incredible organization that you were giving us a little bit of background on, but that we're now going to make you repeat all the things that you said to us pre-recording uh, for all of our guests to hear, because we didn't plan this well. Outstanding. <laughs> well, I'd love to talk about Victa, but first I will say that in part, some of this procrastination has been my fault uh, because of the worst kind of procrastination you can possibly do, which is not looking at your passport until the day before you get on an international flight. No. So, to be fair, the last reschedule was on me. <laughs> so, that was my favorite story, too. <laughs> it was got to renew her passport. It was a delight. Um, the funnest part is that the Sunday before that, a friend of ours had been telling the story of how she forgot to renew her passport, and it was this big scramble. Did I go home and check mine? No. Absolutely. You were like, wow, she's fucking dumb. What <laughs> yeah. a fucking dumbass. That idiot. would never happen to me. Later, Gators. Can't wait to leave on vacation. Oh, oh, fuck. So, yeah. So that was an adventure. But I am glad to finally be here, and I'm always excited to talk about Victa. Um, so Victa is an agency on Elmwood Avenue, Providence. We do um, substance use and mental health treatment, and we are licensed for ambulatory medical care. So we're really a one-stop shop, mental health services, psych services, whatever you need, we got. Um, so we are only, we've just celebrated our third birthday. Um, two of those years have been in a global pandemic, so it's been super fun creating a brand new organization um, and negotiating all that goes into that. Um, but it's also had... Uh, a lot of opportunities as a result. So um, making the shift to telehealth was pretty easy for us because we're small and agile. um, And we've really been open to doing new, new for the U.S., things such as safer consumption spaces. So um, I'm excited to have worked on the legislation that opened the door for the first state sanctioned safe consumption sites or harm reduction centers is what the legislation calls them. Um, And in a million years, I did not imagine that I would actually be at an organization that would let me do it. So everything kind of came together quite nicely. And that's where I'm at today. That's, I mean, one of the million reasons that we wanted to have you on, aside from you being our friend, is that um, obviously, you know, this is a cause very near and dear to us. Um, And especially in a pandemic is a really important time to be opening more resources and avenues for people. Um, You know, I've heard that one of the big reasons um, that people turn to to drugs for comfort is like a sense of connection. And I think that that's something that's been sorely lacking in um, <clears throat> in the pandemic times um, and is also something that makes safe sites um, have these widespread and rippling positive effects, right? So when you have parents who are addicts who go to safe sites every day with their kids, 
um, those kids are getting a level of consistency where they're seeing medical professionals and people um, who can connect them with the services they need. Um, you are less likely to overdose or have at the very least a fatal overdose when you are in the presence of medical professionals. Um, and a lot of times just that daily routine and connection of seeing a nurse or a CNA or, you know, even just the, the person who checks you in at the front desk every day is enough to get a lot of people, um, getting their shit together, which I, I feel like is why we find in countries where drugs are decriminalized, um, and destigmatized that the addiction rates actually over time start to plummet. Um, and that fewer and fewer people do drugs. What a weird and crazy concept. It is um, kind of paradoxical. And a lot of the things that people fear in terms of uh, decriminalization or in terms of safer consumption, the data shows the polar opposite. Um, so there is no evidence that with safer consumption, people start using more people who weren't going to start using suddenly do there's, there's no evidence that we've been waiting using. for safe sites. Actually, we've just been, that's yep. the only reason we're not currently on intravenous yes. drugs. We've just been waiting for a safe site. Is that well, Y'all will have a VIP suite. Sweet. Of course, of course. The can we fix uh, it sweet? It's yes, ready and yes. waiting for uh, us. Great. TM. TM. <laughs> and very, very exciting. Sorry, Carrie. This is great. <laughs> no, it is. It, you know, it's it's exciting to talk about it. And to your point, the the pandemic did the worst thing it could possibly do, which is isolate our, us from one another. And when you are actively using drugs, it's the most dangerous thing you can do. It's not only terrible for your mental health, but it's incredibly risky because when we talk about safer use currently, we talk about don't use alone. We talk about have someone on hand with Narcan. And then for years, we were telling people, absolutely not. Don't go anywhere near another human being. Mm -hmm. And so unsurprisingly, but heartbreakingly, the overdose rate rose in Rhode Island for the last two years after a period of decline because we were doing what we knew worked. And now it's time to do something else and not instead of, but adding to our toolbox to help save lives. And I think that connection you talked about you know, it, it's what we see at Victor proper. Like if somebody's in treatment and they're still using, I don't care Just show up, talk to us. You got somebody who's still drinking, but they're not using their opioids anymore. Wonderful. Great to see you. Come on in. So the fact that they know someone, they know they're safe, they know they're not stigmatized or discriminated against when they want services, they're going to go to someone that has shown that they can trust them. Mm. So that's kind of our vision for the safer consumption site or the harm reduction center um, is, yeah, a place where you can just go and be. And if you don't want to use drugs that day, you don't have to. And you can, you know, sit on the couch and have a cup of coffee. Um, I really see it as more of a community gathering spot and um, the, the drug use is sort of secondary. Mm. So because I have done a lot of organizing in my life, I can hear your pitch in here, right? And I can hear you answering the questions that you've been asked and something about you having to specifically say, you don't have to use drugs because <laughs> the Republicans are like, there are these places where they go and they make you do drugs every day. And I could just you walk you. in, they put a crack pipe in your hand. They give you a they syringe. They give you a lighter. I mean, to be fair, we will do that. <laughs> Absolutely. I understand. We will give you clean that. work. Well, we want you to have a clean syringe. 
aberrant. Like, oh, God right. forbid we prevent communicable diseases from spreading, guys. I know it's <laughs> disgusting that we would like allocate money to this. Um, but I also think one of the, this is going to sound fucked up, but there's no other way to put it. One of the side benefits to opioid use becoming a more prevalent thing across all walks of life was that people in more recent years have started to understand that addiction is a fucking disease. And that like, I used to say of my brother all the time, like nobody would fucking pick this. What? Who the fuck would sign up for this? Are you high? Like, what do you mean? Where they would be like, oh, these people choose to do drugs. I'm like, that's my brother. He chooses to live in an abandoned house. Having like blown out all the veins that like are available to him. Like, yes, that's a conscious choice he's making and he chooses it every day. But like now that we're realizing that this is like very much, there's a genetic component. There's like a lifestyle component. There's an experience and trauma component. Um, And let's be fucking honest. There's a medical professional component. We're like, there were and still are a lot of doctors who were prescribing this shit like it was fucking Tic Tacs and that like there were there are no rules. There are no consequences. Like you get a tooth pulled. Here's a bottle of Vicodin. Like, yo, the fuck? You got to slow your roll, my dude. Like just a lot of this, you know, came from people who trusted their doctors. And that's one of the things that I, I try to uh, harp on a lot. I know but that upwards of 70% of uh, opioid addicts started with a perfectly legal prescription. Theirs or someone else's. Theirs, yeah. Because people had so many on hand, uh, a lot of folks were able to access them. And then, you know, it was lose-lose when the crackdowns started. Um, Doctors were being monitored so closely. There are physicians in jail who were just treating people's pain appropriately. So now we've got this whole population left behind because of the, oh my gosh, we overdid it. We need to stop everything, which A, harmed chronic pain patients. Mm. B, drove people to illicit sources instead of the safe Mm. supply that they had. Um, And like you said, there's no regulation. They, They can prescribe whatever they want, whenever they want. You know what is ridiculously regulated? Methadone and Suboxone. Mm-hmm. the gold standard treatment for said opioid use disorder. Oh. So uh, another, if we're going to find bright sides of a global pandemic, um, another bright side is that the federal government allowed a loosening of restrictions around methadone prescribing. And guess what? The world didn't end. There's been no increase in methadone related overdose deaths. Mm. It's almost like when a clinical and medical team makes a decision with an individual about what's right for their recovery the outcomes are better no matter what you got to come to this clinic every day, take your dose in front of us every day until you've got a federally defined standard of recovery. And then you can have one to go. Yeah. And you know, we were taking people who had had one take home and we're like, here's six, let's see how that goes. And it went fine because we know our clients, they know their recoveries and it is, it's empowering to say, like, I don't have to go to a clinic every day. What other medication do we treat this way? Right. You have to show up <sighs> somewhere every day. Mm-hmm. Well, and also just, like, the burden that that puts on people. Right. I remember any time that my brother working. tried to get a job. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was like, okay, but it has to start after yeah. 9 o'clock because to take the bus to the clinic and back takes this much time. And just, mm-hmm. like, it. it's, I mean, it's another way to keep people down 
it's another way, whether it was intended to be or not, I'm sure it wasn't, but like it ends up being another barrier to recovery as opposed to a tool for recovery. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think there's often unintended consequences, whether it's a treatment intervention, whether it's a policy or legislative intervention, you know, we really got to be cautious because when there are unintended consequences, who are the most likely to suffer as a result? Black, Indigenous people of color, poor people, people who rely on public transportation, people whose socioeconomic and and, um, psychosocial lives are so complex anyway. And we're just like, adding five more more hoops. Adding one more thing is Mm -hmm. like too much. And that's, I mean, one of the things that everybody knows was like the hill that I died on was Kristen's law, um, which was, I do believe that's how we met. (laughs) Mattiello's attempt to uh, charge people with murder uh, for supplying uh, drugs that led to a lethal overdose. Um, And of course it was because, like the addiction problem had crept into Cranston, which was like scary when like white children are dying, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, But I made the, you know, sort of inflammatory point that like, welcome to the party. (laughs) Um, In Providence, this has kind of like been our thing. Super glad that you guys are taking it seriously now and that we're not just like a bunch of fucking riffraff with a drug problem. Like super glad that you're on board, but. One of the unintended consequences of well-meaning, um, no, not well-meaning, not piece well-meaning. of shit legislators. Reactionaries. That's Reaction, reactionary legislation is, I mean, particularly in Rhode Island, we have a part-time legislature. You have a group of like lawyers and accountants and school teachers that are like, no, 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 we decide, we decide what should happen medically. And like... <clears throat> There were so many medical organizations that were against that law and it still passed. So when you tell me like, oh yeah, maybe the policies don't like have some unintended consequences. Like, yeah. And maybe they would have less unintended consequences if we, I don't know, like listened to the people like you, Lisa, who've been doing this for 25 plus fucking years. When you say like, Hey guys, love the hustle. Uh, wrong Wrong goal, wrong yeah. team, wrong sport, wrong field, but love the hustle. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's really how the Substance Use Policy Education and Recovery Pack was formed. Like the three of us met literally in the hearing rooms on Kristen's Law. And for various reasons, this had been on our radar. And for various reasons, we were like, nope. We cannot let this happen. No, this is a terrible idea. <laughs> this is the worst thing. But it was, it, we were reactionary by that point because we weren't proactively organized. So as soon as that session ended, um, Anna Jane, our founder, um, reached out and said, hey, you want to do this thing? And I created this org. And so we got organized and we said, these folks don't know. Even even the well-meaning ones right. don't, don't know, know what, what they're the talking, they're talking about. about. How could you when you've got these bills coming across your desk? Yeah. Constantly. And they sound good. Like, yeah. hey, people are dying and we're going to we're going to prosecute the people that are killing them. And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah that's cool. a great idea. They're killing them with drugs. And they make it sound fantastic. And then 
you know, then you sit down and you're like, oh, wait, this is terrible. Right. Because in real life, you don't have this separate big bad drug dealer. Right. Your drug dealer is your buddy. Your drug dealer is who you're using drugs with. Your drug dealer is your boyfriend. Who are your drug dealers? You're selling to your loved ones. You know, it's it's who's got it when. And, you know, it doesn't reflect the reality of drug use. And that's been increasingly clear that people don't understand the reality of it. Mm -hmm. And they want there to be a simple solution and and there's just not and so that's why we've got to look at this from every angle and use everything we can not everyone's right for methadone or suboxone some folks need to do residential other folks are going to continue to use and it's still okay that we allow them to live and the whole in between so it's it's better than it has been in terms of people being receptive to learning um, and, and I give some of the elected officials a lot of credit for that. Um, there are folks who will specifically reach out and say, is there an, am I reading this right? Does yeah. this sound okay? Am I not thinking of something? Um, and, and there are folks who will say, I don't know a darn thing about this. You get just orient me. And that's amazing. And I right. think that's, you know, there's a lot of factors that have helped turn over the general assembly. Um, but I'm glad that we have people who are willing to have that conversation. And yes, for, for a lot of people, it's because it hit white suburbia and some of our work is to keep it front and center that this has been happening forever Mm -hmm. in other communities who were criminalized. And so anything that we do, we have to make sure we don't leave anyone behind. So Mm. one of the biggest things that the the harm reduction center does is it allows for safe smoking and inhalation which a lot of people talk about safe injection safe injection that's great except that more people smoke their drugs than inject their drugs and again which populations are we talking about who tend to use more smoking drugs so (coughs) we we really wanted to center like everyone who uses drugs in any manner we've got to have a plan we've got to have a space for that and because they deserve the same opportunity is, you know, the Lincoln cheerleader who blew out a knee and developed an oxy problem. Right. 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 Yeah. There are so many, there are so many different paths that lead us to the same place. Um, and you know, the fact that we have this many dedicated individuals and organizations, um, that are like, this is their primary cause and this is their primary function. And this is, it's not a side thing. And like, I mean, I would obviously much prefer if we allotted like state budgetary money to things like this so that it didn't have to be on the backs of like good and decent people who are now going to dedicate their whole life to this. Super appreciate you. (laughs) Super appreciate you. Would have been cool if we just like gave you the fucking money so you didn't have to build an entire goddamn system yourself. But like, good. I mean, good hustle. (laughs) No, I I appreciate that inroads into my pitch, which is, um, you know, the the harm reduction center was very explicitly not to be taxpayer funded. Mm. Um, So we are out there literally like fundraising and $5 and $100 and whatever campaign that we can. Um, But simultaneously as a treatment organization, our behavioral health system is barely hanging on. And if the current budget passes 
we will not be able to hang on. So for the first time in many, many years, there's going to be a full rate review around Medicaid products in particular. We haven't seen a rate increase in over a decade. Inflation has gone up. So essentially, we've seen a rate decrease. Right. But we can't recruit, we can't keep people in our field to do this work if we don't pay them. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, of course I do this because it's my passion. I think that's clear. But I also have a mortgage and two dogs to feed. Right. And they eat a lot. So (laughs) like, it would be great if I didn't have to worry about that. Most people in our field have multiple jobs. That's not okay. This is exhausting work. Mm -hmm. So we we are really hoping that this will start to put a spotlight on, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the heroes, the front line, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, yeah. And we love behavioral health has been out there, too. You know, the harm reduction, the outreach organizations, they've been out there this whole time. They didn't take a break. You can't work from home when you're doing outreach into, you know, the vulnerable the populations and the, yeah. the Kennedy Plaza. And um, but. I keep saying a budget is a value statement. And the reality is that we say we're going to see this differently. We're going to have this gentler, softer approach to substance use disorder as a public health issue. But if we don't put our money where our mouth is, we're saying we actually don't value your work. And we don't value your work because we actually don't value the people that you save. And that's really, really hard to know. So it, I mean, it's a thing that we hear from our elected officials regularly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really not. It's it's definitely hard to know every time, but like it's it's a thing that we hear regularly. Is that like with their with their mouths, they're like, "Oh my god, I care so much about my constituents. I care so much about my constituents." And then when it comes to their money, they're like, "Oh, but not those ones. Ooh, not those ones either. Ooh, Ooh definitely, definitely not, not those. those Ooh, not those ones at all." Um. And like that is always really uh, weird to me. Um, I don't understand why we celebrate like a budget surplus. <laughs> you are coming to me and telling me I fucking robbed you for like a lot of money. Yeah, is that great? This is your money. We're going to put it aside though. Yeah, dude, isn't that dope? Okay, this is your money, and we're gonna keep it. Just like a couple quick things. If you're gonna rob me, shut the fuck up about it. Bro, yeah. the fact that you're going to come out and you want me to like, oh, you're so great. You did a great job stealing my fucking money. Yeah. It wasn't a gift. It wasn't a loan. I gave that to you for purposes of you then using it to take care of me. The fuck? Yeah. And so like, yeah, again, it's great that now that this shit is hitting like suburban, you know, soccer moms and, and their children that we're taking it seriously. But like... Minimum wage workers are probably some of the highest fucking taxed motherfuckers Mm -hmm. in any bracket because we have so little that it equates to so much of what we're making. And then like to be like, ooh, yeah, um, we took your tax dollars and you know that crippling back pain that you have from working like 16 (laughs) hour shifts that you've like developed a crippling addiction to painkillers? Like we're going to use none of that to help you. None of that. Actually, we're going to specifically put in a rule that says, don't you dare fucking use any of it. Any of that money no, to none help for you. with safe. Right. Right. It's the same thing with abortions, right? Where they're like, yes, yes it's legal. Don't you dare use a fucking dime. Right. Don't use a goddamn dime. And you're like, right, cool. Right. That either. Are so we it's just... legal for some people. Is right. What saying. Yes. Literally, just gonna put clauses in for every single like tax dollars are for you. 
Asterisk. <laughs> Tax dollars are for you. Asterisk. At the discretion of someone who has who's not more you. power than me. Who is someone not who's living not your you. reality. Yeah. yeah. Big yeah. facts. Yeah. I mean, I we are we are in desperate straits, and the behavioral health community is finally sort of trying to organize and fight back. And I, I will own that, not me personally necessarily, because obviously I have a big mouth and everybody hears me on these topics all the time, but like collectively we ha we're so beaten down by years of cuts and by years of do more with less. The people we treat are increasingly complex, mm -hmm. ill, um, they're, they're just high risk. They're fucking hurting, man. Exactly. Yeah. And we've got some of the lowest paid employees trying to take care of them and they do a, a phenomenal job with what they've given but we're so used to in this field just doing that yeah. that it's time for us to say it, enough yeah, like it's too much we we are taking care of your most vulnerable friends and neighbors and loved ones and we deserve the resources to do that like a lot of times it's not even of course livable wages obviously that's our first priority but it's like the infrastructure is not there if i if i can pay someone a livable wage but i can't I don't know, get them a laptop when there's breaks so they can't right. get an electronic record. Like yeah. there's more to it than just the salaries. Mm -hmm. and we've got to invest and give people what they need to take care of people from birth to death, whether they develop a mental health disorder or a substance use disorder, or just have some life stress or whatever. Yeah. We, we just have to do a better job of, of caring about that. It's fun that you say that the budget is a values document, because if you look at the Rhode Island budget on any given year, it shows that our values are fucking gross. <laughs> <sighs> our values are fucking disgusting. Yeah. And like the idea that we would say that like we have money for... Like a misting? Like a, like a, like a legionnaire's <laughs> misting water ring yeah. in the middle of downtown Providence. The idea that, that water place how are. many times have they pitched that they want to put a second Kennedy Plaza four fucking feet away from Kennedy, from Plaza. Kennedy Plaza. Cool. Nobody fucking asked for that. We asked for a second hub. And I think you and I both know that's not what the fuck we meant. That's we meant in happening. like another part of the state that might be more convenient than having to come through Providence for every single thing. But guess what we always have money for? Parades, the Superman building, yeah, $168,000 of fucking plexiglass at the state house. Yeah. Like, good God, guy, this is just like deeply fucking tragic on so many levels. Mold gate, a whole room torn out because of mold, because someone's getting imaginary molds just so we can throw mold. some documents away real quick. Like, yeah, there's always money for that. Well, and also like, I distinctly remember in testimony, it's not always money. That's the reason that we don't do good things. Sometimes it's just like real piece of shit motives. Um, I think that segues nicely into a story that, that you have for us. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's kind of touches on all of that. Um, obviously my work both in my employment and in my extracurriculars at the state house, um, is not limited to substance use policy. There's a lot of overlap with mental health and, uh, criminal legal reform as well. Um, but last week, I think it was last week, time is a blur. Um, I was up testifying on a bill that was in um, House Finance, which was my first time testifying in finance. And 
it was to install suicide barriers or nets along the Mount Hope, Jamestown, and Newport bridges, uh, because that's a really, really lethal way to die. Um, there's not a lot of attempts. There are a lot of successes. Yes. Mm. Um, and I will say in the, in the room, the, the testimony was overwhelmingly emotional and difficult and people shared their lived experiences and it was really difficult. And thankfully no one um, had the gall to come oppose in, in person, but some of the backlash that I've heard over the years, not just in that hearing, but we've been talking about this for a long time because right. people have been jumping off our bridges for a long time. Um, and, you know, first it's the, who's going to pay for it. Of course. Which you know, for, for uh, people who talk about the value of human life a lot, like, again, um, if your budget doesn't reflect that, then you don't mean it. Mm -hmm. So um, so there was, this year, there was a, a, a supplemental bill that specifically dedicated some funding to that. Um, but the other reason that, again, no one came and went on record with this, but the other reason that people were sort of uncomfortable with it is because it will disrupt their view of beautiful bridges. It's a net. Wow. It's just a net. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and like people won't die. I mean, I feel like that should speak for itself, but clearly yeah. I am still naive after all of these years. And I just, I, I just want people to not die. Yeah. And, um, and what was the other added layer of fuck you uh, to that? What was, what else was announced that night? Oh, <clears throat> that was the same night that the Superman building uh, received the many, many millions of dollars that um, I, I guess they're... To turn it into a safe site? Um, no, no, to turn it into affordable housing that no one can afford. Um, Excellent. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and only parts of it will, will even be at that level. So just the bad parts. It really, it just does. the bottom parts. <laughs> bottom parts. <laughs> of... We'll redo the cellar. Yeah. Yes. Um, cool. But yeah, I mean, it just, it this speaks loud and clear cool. as so, to our values. So I'm guessing that the nets must have cost like millions on millions on millions of dollars then. No, no. I mean, I, I have not priced out, um, Safety nets myself personally, but, uh, but like, the yeah. bill that was dedicated to it was, I don't know, maybe 2.5 million for all three bridges, all three incredibly lethal, very high bridges. Cool. So just so, out of curiosity, did we, uh, did we hold that for further study? We, it's held for further study. Oh, it's like, I'm a psychic. Jennifer. I can't believe I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> yes, I did. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that is such a great juxtaposition for like everything that is wrong with uh, fucking state yeah. and country, if we're being honest. Um, and the process, like, like, like we know, uh, we collectively, the three of us have spent enough time up there in various capacities. Like that's just how it is. The first go round, it's held for further study. Yeah. And, but the reality is with, with that, with the harm reduction center, with, with investing in our BH behavioral health infrastructure, we don't have time. That's... Literally, people are dying every day. They are dying preventable deaths. They are dying because they can jump off a bridge and they are not going to recover. They are dying because they couldn't access the mental health services they needed to not jump off that bridge. They are dying because they are overdosing on their either, either drugs that they use to get high or drugs that they think they're buying off a friend because they can't get their meds filled. But now the pressed pills 
uh, supply is contaminated with all kinds of junk, including fentanyl and its analogs. So people are, people are desperate and we can't, we can't keep holding and considering. We've got to take some action. It's, I mean, medical, uh, medical budget money or budget spending, um, whether it be for, you know, primary care doctors all the way up to behavioral health specialists, um, has some of the best fucking monetary returns when it comes to the long term. And I would argue that if you're a piece of shit and you don't actually care about people and you have no desire to help people or to not see people die or to make sure that people don't lose their parents or their children or their loved ones to addiction, disease, self-harm, things like that, then you can just, you can totally have the selfish piece of shit motivation in that um, it is so much cheaper to provide preventative health care than it is to provide like therapeutic or like trauma <laughs> solving health care. And like, <clears throat> so if like you are not the kind of person who like cares that people are dying or like cares that people like have mental illness, like you could instead be the kind of person who cares about cold, hard cash and you would still um, be choosing the same thing, which would be to a lot more budget money temporarily. I mean, let's just think about it in terms of the turnaround. Like, yes, for the first few years, you're not going to see a whole bunch of return on your investments, but by year three or four, the use of ambulances is going to go down. The use of police to be like, you know, managing what are essentially mental health or medical uh, emergencies um, instead of the medical profession who should be doing it. Um, you're going to see that go down. You're just going to see an entire reduction in the use of emergency, like trauma solving services. Um, when you just invest like two shits, that's it. Like, I don't even, not even like the whole field of fucks, like not even, doesn't even have to be like acres of fucks if your fuck field is like kind of barren we could take like two you know what i mean just like just give like two shits about people this year and then in like three years just like collect all the bank on that absolutely like i don't understand this should be this should be a no-brainer and we have the data now like so i've been in this field for a very long time as you referenced i'm not going to restate but um yeah. I, I, it since was, she was born 25 was, years ago exactly, she was born exactly. a baby in the mental health field but it was pre <laughs> the aca easily yep. um and at one point i was overseeing a statewide grant that was specifically for uninsured indigent rhode islanders who needed um acute levels of care emergency type care and so they would go to the emergency room and we would get a call and triage them and find them beds with our partner organizations who had a certain amount of free beds for, you know, there was some funding, but yeah. essentially free beds. And I will never forget. I very early on, I got a call from Westerly hospital, which was, does not have an associated psychiatric unit. So this person was in the hospital um, and he had some medical issues. He had some burns, but he was, you know, stable, but he was acutely suicidal. So they put him on an involuntary hold, which is a, a legal yeah. imprisonment for lack of a better term. Um, and, but it lasts for up to 10 days. He spent the entirety of those 10 days in the emergency room Ugh. because we could not find a bed for this uninsured 
state funded spot. Can you imagine? That just doesn't happen anywhere. Are wait times in the ER still atrocious? Yes, worsened by COVID, obviously. But people, A, can get the access to the outpatient community care mm -hmm. that they need to not end up in an ER. And B, if they do end up in an ER, people are actually willing to take them. So we, we have the data that Medicaid expansion and Rhode Island being one of those states, yay mm -hmm. us. We've got the data that ultimately saves dollars as well as right. lives. And I, I know, and I can't prove this yet, but I will by the end of our pilot with this, the harm reduction center, I know that we are going to save money because if somebody overdoses in a safe consumption site, a peer revives them, a nurse revives them, Narcan and oxygen revive them. They don't need to go to the emergency room. They don't need an ambulance, a fire truck, a police right. car, all showing up, transporting to an emergency room where they are mandated to do certain amounts of testing, mm -hmm. all of which costs money. Yep. And then essentially they're going to say, do you want to go to treatment? And they're going to go, nah, because I feel like crap. And that's it. And they're yeah, going to go home, anyway. Go home yeah. anyway. Absolutely. So why would you do all that? Right. So if we can fund this right now, I know that we can show that we will ultimately save money and be able to come back around and say, like, just just pay us to take care of folks. Right. And stop nickel and diming us. Stop making us write 15 pages of documentation for sitting uh, with someone <laughs> yeah. for like, hey, if you could not kill yourself, that'd be great. Oh, hang on. Let me do these forms. You know, just invest in providers taking care of their people, mm -hmm. I, I promise we will show results. Right. And and we'll see reduced ER wait times, which is hospitals love. And yeah. we'll see reduced ER utilization, which managed care organizations love. And there's just no real downside except for stuff that people feel. You know, the, the opinions, the, the stigma mm. that's been so ingrained. Mm -hmm. It's a gut reaction. Even some of my friends who are not like immersed in this, they get the data, but it feels weird to be like, so you're going to open your doors and be like, yeah, you can smoke crack in here. And I'm like, yep, sure yeah. am. And, yeah. it feels, yeah. and it feels weird. And they know it feels weird. They at least are aware enough to sort of work through that. <coughs> that's all it is. It feels weird. Of course it does. The data across the board supports this. Yeah. There's never been a death in an overdose prevention site or safe consumption center in almost 40 years of operations across the globe. Jesus. Between the first time I testified for the safe consumption site, that must have been 2019, time is a blur, and when it was actually passed in last session, over 800 people died while we were figuring it out. And now, you know, we're still obviously figuring it out and operationalizing it, but like, these are real, these are Rhode Islanders. Right. 800 of our very small population died while we were deciding whether or not we should explore may whether maybe possibly this might be a thing that we should do mm -hmm. when the rest of the world is like, look here, we'll help you. Exactly. And they are, they're all helping us that we've been in touch with Toronto. We've been in touch with Vancouver. We've been in touch with New York who opened their sites in November. Like everyone's helping each other with this initiative. And we, we just need the powers that be to say, Yes, Open we're going to invest in this. I just want to say that I'm Portuguese and uh, we fucking did it first, Fim. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Shout out to Dr. Jo Joao Gualau, whose name I practiced over and over when he came to speak to the legislature a couple of years Thank ago. Thank you for that. I know a couple of Joao's who just let people butcher it like, Joao! <laughs> no, buddy. No, also there's a, a lot of zhuzh in Portuguese. <laughs> he really is. Yes. He, was, he was absolutely magnificent. And honestly... I mean, I can even attest to like how far it's come just in the brief time that that 
I've been out of the state house. Um, never in a million years would I have imagined when in my first year we were trying to like criminalize being the boyfriend of an overdose victim, <laughs> True. right? Never would I have imagined that we would come to a point where like it would be legal in Rhode Island for you to even run this kind of site. Like that blows my fucking mind. Um, and thank you for like sticking to your guns and like knowing that this is worth it and this is always going to be worth it even if it's one Rhode Islander that we save um because that's somebody's yeah <laughs> it's somebody's Rhode Islander it's our Rhode Islander I mean their life matters and I just yeah, I want to feel weird that we got to keep reminding you guys of this <laughs> right? little weird um, but some but of I, you I, need to hear it apparently <laughs> But I have to give credit, like this was such a grassroots community-based push. I did not do this. I showed up and dozens and hundreds of other people did. Planning meetings were happening well before the legislation was a reality because we knew when it when it when it went live, we needed to be ready. And so we've had folks, Rhode Island Medical Society and the AG's office and treatment providers and harm reductionists and people who are still using and everyone's been at the table with a shared goal of saving those lives. And there's no, there's no ego, there's no competition. It's just, I don't care. I, I've been saying all along, it doesn't have to be Victor, but if nobody steps up, somebody's gonna do this. Right. But if somebody else comes in and is like, I am ready to go and I can open tomorrow, I'll be like, I'll bring the donuts, whatever. Yeah. Like, I don't need to be the person who did the thing. As long I as it gets to get done. done. Yeah, get oh my God, thank you. Yes. Like, I, I love that kind of mentality of like, mm. I don't need my fucking name on it. I need it to get passed. Yeah. And like, as we've joked on many occasions, one of my big things up there when people would ask me to put in a bill, I would go, oh, but are you sure? Like, don't you want it to get passed? <laughs> if you give it to me, they're going to throw it away. They're not going to pass it. Um, and no, like, that's that's exactly the mentality to have is that like, First of all, uh, again, find it weird that I have to say this, but like people who do drugs are still people um, and they still like matter as people and we should still care about them. And it's still our job as like a government that takes care of its citizens to take care of those people. Like you do not get as an elected official to decide which people yeah that's fucking crazy because it's not like the rule is only taxpayers children don't pay fucking taxes and we take care of them all the time well okay not well but <laughs> we take care of them sometimes make an effort you know yeah, what i mean I like it's crazy to me how they're like for everybody not that guy or yeah. fucking that guy or not ch fuck them too i don't like them either yeah. like i mean we're, we're running out of people that you're willing to take care of but yeah feel free um, the frustrating part too is, you know, you mentioned people are, people use drugs, people are going to use drugs. And earlier we talked about choice and whatever, the number of people who have used drugs or do use drugs, but don't do it problematically or chaotically is very significant. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's a conversation that we don't have because if, if you do, you know, a few lines of blow on the weekend and you're a weekend warrior, that's different. Yeah. Ooh, and, preach. Or if you're you, better than them. If you screwed around in high school and did a bunch of drugs and then just stopped, as most people do, 
how are you different from the person who couldn't? Mm-hmm. I can't look around at the three of us and be like, if we all did a bunch of drugs today, you know, none of us would become addicts. Maybe not. Maybe we all three Or maybe all three of us would. We don't fucking know until we try. The point is, let's try. Wait, no. (laughs) Not where I was going with this. Yes. Safe sites. This is what the Republicans are afraid of, you guys. (laughs) But yeah, truly, this is not us versus them. Like, so, so, so many people experiment with drugs at various times in their lives. Mm -hmm. And some of them are legal. Alcohol. True. And some of them are not. Yeah, we've, mm-hmm. we've got safe consumption sites for alcohol yeah. right there called bars. Yeah. And you know what you get? Consumption you sites. Know what you're with the galaxy getting. brain. You know what you're getting. It's a safe yeah. supply. It's regulated. They're not you allowed to during... serve you to the point of sickness. And they're not allowed to serve you poisoned booze, which they would do during prohibition because there was no safe legal supply. Oh, that shit that made you blind. Yes. 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 Oh, my God. I yeah. never thought about it, it that way. But that you. is so fucking on point. There are safe consumption sites for liquor. Damn. And my my kid's dad is a police officer and would say all the time, like, if alcohol and weed were both illegal and I could only enforce one, it would be alcohol because Absolutely. nobody gets high and beats their wife. Exactly. Like, that's not a thing that I have to stop. Yeah. Um, and driving drunk. Oh right. My and just like God. the amount of things that we've decided are like socially okay versus the things that we've decided socially Based on are absolutely not okay. nothing except marketing. Yeah. <laughs> because because I, I'm telling you, I've been doing this for 25 years. More people are dying of alcohol related conditions than any other drug and we don't talk about it and how much of that is because we say it's okay how much of that is because we say it's safe and it's not a big deal and you don't have to worry about it right it's glamorized it's it's integral to our social interactions it's Mm -hmm. you know only recently is the conversation getting normalized like oh no thanks i don't drink and people just drop it you know, they're, right. they're still alive. Like, Come like, on, have a drink. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you shouldn't have to explain yourself whether you're on antibiotics or you're in recovery or you get violently ill every yeah. time you smell alcohol. Like, who cares? Exactly. Yeah, I used to be way more awkward about it when I, like, drank more in my 20s. And I'd be like, oh, you want to go get a drink? And they'd be like, I don't drink. And I would be like, ah, uh, cool, party on, diggity dog, hot. Yeah, okay. and now you're just cool. like, all right. And I was just like, word, whatever, moving on. Like, I, I don't give enough of a yeah. shit about anybody else. It doesn't like, matter. It literally doesn't yeah. matter. Now you're just like, grab a coffee, you want a water, what do you want? You want well, and also, like, there but yeah. for the grace of God go we, right? Like, so my my brother, you know, is, is an addict and says all the time, you know, it's in my genes. And I think to myself, like, dude, we have the same genes. Like, I could have, oh, I could have been, been so fucked. Yep. Oh, my yeah. God. And I definitely like, I mean, I was, I smoked cigarettes for 18 fucking years. Um, And so I, you know, picked a socially acceptable one. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy that we are all about, you know, being on our high horses until it's like us or somebody we know or somebody we love. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and yeah, you're right that, that there's this, the significant number of people who do drugs recreationally and don't ruin their lives about it. Um, I feel like are probably the biggest assholes that you have to come into contact with when you're doing these bills, honestly, right at the end of the day, how many of these people are like, fuck you. I do blow every weekend and I'm fine. (laughs) And it's like, that's why they won't like allow for other people to have like recovery tools. Cause they're like, it's not affecting me. Well, yeah, your wife hates you, but other than that, it's yeah, no, it's great. 
Yeah, that has nothing to do with the drugs, though. <laughs> no, no, that's just a personality. It's like there. whatever drug bootstraps are, they've got them. Yes, I pulled little... myself up by the cocaine bootstraps. Exactly. You can too. Yeah, I'm able to pull myself up by the holy shit. This you know, hour we, we have bootstraps. like fucking five minutes left before the shit shuts down. This hour flew by. All right, give us your plugs. You need money. Where can we give you money? Uh, we do have a donor box that uh, will be up on our website shortly. We just finally got a marketing volunteer. We can't afford to pay a marketing person. Um, oh, catch so, me too. Yeah, right, right. Um, so we do have a Facebook page, and our 401 Gives campaign was really big there, um, went, but we've moved to a permanent platform. Um, the other big pitch, well, A, if you need treatment services, please call us. Um, we do it all, 401-300-5757. Um, and the only other thing I will really push is that next Thursday, the 28th, starting at two, it's a kickoff to May is mental health month, but it's being turned into or combined with, um, a rally to invest in our behavioral health infrastructure, um, because the rate review bills are being heard that night. So there's going to be a rally press conference, lobbying and testifying. And I really would love to have providers, people who use services come out and show like this affects this many people and let's give them a good show. Yay. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on. We're going to absolutely have to have you on again because Lord knows that all this shit is going to get held for further study. <laughs> um, and oh. we're just, no, I no. of course it's not. It's going to pass with flying colors and everything's going to be great and magical and sunshine and rainbows and unicorns. And you but can I mean, come live broad broadcast when we open our doors to the Harm Reduction Center. Oh, yes. hell yes. Live from the Can Ooh. We Fix It Harm Reduction <laughs> wing, Suite. The wing of the, yeah. <laughs> we're going to invest in a whole suite, baby. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Jen, do you have any plugs? I do not. I, as Except always, throw some money at Victa, please. Yeah, and Lisa same, Peterson. same, same, same. Thank you. Um, find Victa on Facebook. Uh, if you're having trouble finding them, reach out to us and we'll hook you up with some links. As always, you can visit our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash can we fix it to participate in polls, check out previous episodes, maybe see some sneak peeks about the awards show. We're Ooh. just a few short months away, my friends. Um, so help us make sure it is the bomb diggity. Uh, see you next week.